Welcome, everyone, from snowy New England to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. The first of the two high school national championships are in the books, and Caitlin Tui is your first ever three-time national champion. Nico Young, a name to watch, dominated the boys' race. We'll talk about that. 100 Olympic trials qualifiers at the CIM Marathon. A rabbit won 100 grand at Abu Dhabi. And Ben Lanana is back after a two-year hiatus. Gwen Jorgensen is back to the track. Protest at the Alberto Salazar building at Nike. And guys, there's only 21 days left. Not for Christmas shopping, but in the decade. Race of the decade voting is now open on Let's Run.com. Everyone, I'm Let's Run.com co-founder Weldon Johnson, joined by always crack staff writer Jonathan Galt and fellow co-founder Robert Johnson. Welcome. Hey, Weldon. Glad to see you're now a New England resident. Does that mean that you're going to be defending our football team from the nonstop allegations of cheating, or are you just going to pile on with those? I feel disgraced to live in New England now. Just the, the taint is on me now. I hope people don't associate me with what's going up in Foxborough right now. Well, I'm the only one that doesn't live in New England, and I'm proud to represent the inner city of Baltimore with our Ravens. John, who crushed you when I took you to the game. Robert, I've been to your house, inner city. You live like as far from the center of Baltimore without, with, while you're still being in the city of Baltimore. I mean, l- let's just be honest with our listeners here. Robert lives in the woods. I, I'm, I'm amazed it's still part of Baltimore. Unlike these white privileged people that have fled for the suburbs, I live in Baltimore City, John, and I'm actually considering entering the mayoral race soon, so please do not disparage me. People may be listening to this podcast soon when I break out. But, folks, if you want to reach us, as always, just pick up the phone. Unlike Facebook and Twitter, you can reach us just within seconds. You can be on our cell phones. Call 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-7786. And if you're enjoying the podcast, and, folks, we've almost met our year goal of once a week for an entire year. Don't be a free rider. Support the pro show. Go to the website. Go to letsrun.com slash shoes. We have the best shoe site. You can buy some new shoes. You can review your shoes. It's kind of like the Yelp for shoes. But if you do something there, you'll help us out. It's a win-win. And if you're not going to do that, at least go onto the message board. Click around for a little bit. Our world-famous forums. That's how we make money at half a page, half a penny per page, roughly. Do that, and we'll be greatly appreciative. Oh, Robert. Wow. I was going to encourage him to hit up the tip jar. All chips go to Jonathan Galt. John, you will get those tips. Don't don't worry about that. Yeah, still waiting for my first tip, guys. So <laughs> we should interview your subscriber. You can give a weekly tip if you guys want. Remember, rate and review the podcast. Rate and review the podcast. Five stars on iTunes. However, you guys rate that uh, really helps spread the word to the running public. I heard this week. I played pub trivia last night, as I usually do on Tuesdays, and one of my trivia teammates told me his roommate, who is a former Harvard football wide receiver has taken up running, he's gotten really into running, says he listens to the podcast. So here's a shout out to you. I don't know his name, but uh, I was sh- I was like, did this guy run high school or college? He's like, no, he just he played football. So I'm, I'm shocked. He's really into running now. Hopefully we uh, live up to the hype. I heard a former Boston Marathon champ gave some kudos to you, John, about the podcast. So everyone from the Harvard football player to the Boston Marathon champ to... Some guy on a farm in Africa, hopefully listening to our podcast. When the first guy from a farm in Africa, call in. We will put you on the podcast for sure. But we're worldwide. And hopefully you guys have not all done your Christmas shopping because while there's 21 days left in the decade, there's only 14 days left before Christmas. 
And if you haven't found that perfect gift for Christmas, do not go out and get a Peloton for your wife. We know about that, everyone. But we have the perfect gift for the runner. It's the Normatec Pulse 2.0 Recovery System. This is what all the pros are using for recovery. It's the perfect gift. 100 bucks off and free shipping. But you need to act fast so you can get it there before Christmas. And your wife, your husband, I don't think anyone can get mad about getting a recovery system. This is like a self-massager. It's really cool. You put it on them. Go to normatechrecovery.com to save 100 bucks and get free shipping right now. Is there a code they need to use, Baldwin, or they just save $100? No. Just, it's available to all, but tell them you heard about it from Let'sRun.com. There's a link also to Normatech Recovery in the show notes. Well, let's start talking about some running stuff. I want to start with NXN. Let's go with the high schoolers. Really great, great women's race uh, out in Portland. Caitlin Tui prevailing over Taylor Hewitt and Sydney Thorvaldson. They were all crossed basically within a second of each other. Tui holding on to become the first three-time champion in NXN history. What a career she's had. She went undefeated as a sophomore, junior, and senior. She's actually running USA Club Nats this weekend in uh, Lehigh. So it'll be interesting to see how she fares against some of the pros there. And then the men's, the boys' race, Nico Young of Newbury Park, California, leading his team to the NXN title with a dominant individual performance. He won by 14 seconds. Really impressive stuff. Well then, Robert, what struck you from 2019 NXN. Well, I was very impressed by Tui. I mean, I, I, John, I, I turned on the broadcast in the middle of the girls' race, and it was about the two-mile mark, again, and um, I, I kind of saw Tui ahead, but I saw a couple of girls close to her. And to be honest, I was not impressed by the commentating because even Chris Jarek acknowledged it, that he was, he was, on the, it was like riding next to the runners, and he kept saying, like, how good Tui is, but I was just counting in my head. I'm like, her lead is, is getting more, narrower and narrower. She's still led by about four or five seconds. And then all of a sudden, like just roughly over 200 meters from the finish, the other two girls were right next, almost, I mean, not quite right next to her, but I'd say like two strides behind her. And I was like, oh, God, she's screwed. But she kicked in another year and, and found what she needed to do to, to get the win. So it was sort of exciting to see um, that three-peat because in, in many ways this race was sort of eerily similar to what, seven or eight years ago when Sarah Baxter was in the race going for the three-peat? Um, John, what year was that? 2013. Yeah, so six years ago, I guess. But, you know, Baxter did a lot of the leading, but then in the end she ended up getting third. So it, it was really sort of, I thought, well-deserved to see her get one other big moment of glory at the high school, on the high school scene. Yeah, I think it's interesting. She's so used to crushing everyone in these races that you never really know how they're going to respond when they're actually challenged. And Tui responded, you know, I thought when they caught her with 200 to go, I'm like, wow. I didn't think she was totally done, but Colleen Quigley said it on the broadcast. She looked exhausted going up those final two hills. They call them the terrace on that course. Her form, she was just, her, her head was going down and, she just looked so tired. So to come back and fight that last 200, really impressive stuff from her. And I think it's also interesting, her strategy, she said she didn't want to go out last year. I think she went out on like 5.04 for the first mile. And she's like, look, I can't go out that fast because I was dying at the end of the race. She needed to slow down. And I think if she had gone out that fast, she might have blown up by more than she did and, and not been able to win. So, you know, very impressive performance for her to fight back and, and win that race. I have a confession to make, guys. I'd be lying to say if I watched the race this year, but 
looking at the results, reading the analysis, yeah, it's an impressive win by Tui. I mean, everyone was surprised. They thought, we th- kind of coming in, people thought the men's race might be close, and that ended up being just a blowout runaway victory by Nico Young. But, hey, Let's Run.com podcast listener, Josh Metner. Methner, excuse me, was second. We're, guys, I want him on the podcast this week because this guy's going to go in for legendary status in my book. He's trying to win footlockers this week. So we want him on win or lose next week, but that would be pretty cool if we could get him on the podcast next week. So I will shoot for that. I've been promising guests for months now and haven't done it. So, But Tui, I think one thing that you don't know how someone like her is going to respond because she's never really used to being challenged in a race like this, a cross-country race. So I think that it's a testament to her grit that she prevailed in this because once you're caught like that, rarely does the person caught win the race. So kudos to her. Yeah, what I found interesting was she said she told Sarah Lodge Butler run as well before the race. This was the most nervous she had been for a race in her career, which I, I find amazing because you would think she's just so used to winning and she's run, she's won two NXNs already. It's not going to be a big deal, but it actually was because she she knew that all the pressure was on her, all the expectation was on her. Everyone thought, oh, she's going to win. This is a given. And there's a lot of articles hyping up the three-peat. And she's still, what, 17, 18 years old. You know, that's a lot of pressure to lump on someone who hasn't even graduated high school yet. So, yeah, kudos to her to respond and to get through the pressure. Well, a few things. One, Weldon said that, you know, when you get caught, you never hold on for the win. And I think that that's probably true more often than not, but it does happen. Anyone remember Wayne Kalati in the NCAA 10,000 this year in Austin? She got run down big time with about 120 meters to go and then held you know, held off. Was that Werner, John, for the victory? Carmela Cardama Baez of yeah. Oregon. Thank you. So, you know, but one thing, and I started with big time praise for it because I thought it was impressive, but I do think we give runners sort of these attributes of like what grit and rallied and it was all mental. To me, it's 99% physical. If you're in the best shape, you know, if you're in the shape to respond, you're going to respond. People naturally know how to win races. She's obviously won a lot of them over the years, but... Yeah, you know, I, I I am worried a little bit about the future here. I've never been on the on the two week hype train. You know, people. Uh, I think a few years ago we got a couple emails. Why aren't you hyping her up more? And I'm like, haven't we learned enough not to hype a 15 year old, 16 year old high school girl? You know, haven't we learned from Mary Kane and Sarah Baxter and all these people in the past? And you know, so I started paying a little bit more attention this year because she's getting closer to college i always say i want to see you pr when you're like 18 or 19 and then i'll start talking about the future particularly for a female runner but even some of the men runners i mean if you look john you could pull up the list of the nike cross winners it's not like a lot of these runners even had big time college careers i mean why don't as i when i finish this you can read off the last five or six winners on the men's and women's side or 10 winners even it's not that impressive. But what scares me about Tully are, are the stats that I put of the stat of the week in the week that was. Here's her margin of victory the last three years, 40 seconds, 17 seconds, 0.69 seconds. And her Tully speed ratings, Bill Mylan has an incredible website where he kind of handicaps these races like he does, like a horse betters do. And um, 
You know, he gave her a 172 speed rating in 2017, a 167 last year, and a 163. So the decline is pretty consistent on the speed ratings of about four or five points. And each point is worth three seconds in, in a high school cross-country race. So that means that the Tui of 2017 would beat the Tui of 2019 by 27 seconds. So I, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, let's enjoy what she did now, but... Let's don't anoint her as the next great American female distance runner. Yeah, Robert, here are some of the, So here's uh, the NXN winners on the men's side, starting with 2007, Chris Derrick. He had, he's had a nice professional career. He was very, very good college career. Reed Connor won a team national title at Wisconsin. Not, nothing notable, really, as a pro. Craig Lutz, decent college runner, nothing notable as a pro. Lucas Fosbikas, out of running. I think that was more injury-related. Footsim Zainasalasi, really good college career. You know, he's starting out, you know, still finding... He was 10-mile champion, I think, this year in the U.S. on the roads. Sam Wharton, okay for Stanford. Nothing to write home about. Taylor Wilmot, I think out of the sport with injury issues. Tanner Anderson, still running at the University of Washington. I think he just ran 13-4Ds. He's pretty good. Uh, Casey Klinger on a more, more mission and then the last three guys I think it's too close Aiden Troutner Liam Anderson Nico Young we just don't have enough to, to judge them yet you know it's hard I mean like it's just every level there's fewer and fewer stars I think because you're, you're dealing with more and more people I mean you mentioned Craig Lutz there I mean he was pretty good at college he was fourth in the NCAA 10K in, in 2015 but it's not like even someone like that you know he's like yeah he had a good college career but well, I think he was. He, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, actually, no. I think Eric Jenkins was ahead of him that year. But like a lot, here's the other thing: these guys go to the NCAA, and you might be one of the top Americans in the NCAA. But the top Americans don't always finish near the front of races because you have Kenyans, you have Australians, you have Brits. The quality of competition is drawing from a lot a more a lot more talent pools than solely the American high school system. And what about the women's list, John? Yeah, I was about to say, John, comparing the men and women is very different just because of the body transformations. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, was going to pull out the women. So Chelsea Svensson, Katie Flood. Katie Flood won an NCAA title. Uh, I don't know if she's running anymore. Rachel Johnson. Svensson's the Texas girl that ended up being on the rugby team at Stanford, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything about her in college. Rachel Johnson, she had a pretty decent college career at Baylor, I think. Lost I heard, she was with Furman Elite. Sarah Baxter won twice. She never really did anything at Oregon. Alexa Ephraimson, still going strong as a professional, uh, was you know pretty close to the U.S. team. Made a U.S. final, I think, this year in the 1500, but she's run well. Ali Ostrander, decorated college career, starting out as a pro, made the world championships this year, so she's working out just fine. Katie Rainsberger started out really good as a pro, as, as a collegian uh, at Oregon, Hasn't quite got back to that level. She was fourth at NCAAs in cross as a true freshman. Hasn't quite got back to that level recently. And then Bree Oakley and hasn't really done that much as a collegian. And then Caitlin Tui has won the last three. So that's the women's list. Yeah, and Bree Oakley is someone who I was very highly of. You know, I know we're not trying to judge them on their bodies, but I'm like, oh, this girl looks, you know, like she's already matured. And I, I was expecting big things from her in college, which is very hard. You know, you mentioned Sarah Baxter, John. 163 was the speed rating that Tully got this year, the Tui got this year when she did win NXN. It also was the exact same speed rating that Baxter got when she was going for the three-peat in 2013 and came up a little bit short. And Baxter really, I mean, didn't do any, had zero impact at Oregon as a collegian. So we'll see what the future holds 
for Tui. Okay, guys, quick question. Over under Caitlin Tui, NCAA titles. I don't even know where to begin, where to measure success for her. I mean, some people want her to be, you know, the next American sensation. Is that too high? It's just kind of crazy. But over under one NCAA title. I mean, I think that's a good place to start. She might get 10 NCAA titles, but there's also a very good chance she gets none. Yeah, I think you need to set the line at half, a half, over or under one half of NCAA title. And because if you look at the list of women I just read off, only two of them won NCAA titles. Katie Flood in the mile indoors in 2012, and Ali Ostrander won three in the steeplechase. Now, Alexa Ephraimson, if she had gone to college, I think she would have had a very good chance you know, to win an NCAA title. She was running... I mean, she ran 403 in high school, so very no. I think only one collegiate in history is 403. So she could have a very good shot. I think, I think Caitlin Tui will win one. She's been really, really good in high school, but would I bet money on it? I don't feel super confident. I don't feel that confident in it. But yes, I would. Go, I would go over one half. I'm going another direction, John. I'm going down to zero. I mean, I, I just think that while the website's motto is "Will your dreams to become reality." You know, just like Weldon, he never he he dreamed of the Olympics. He dreamed of a world championship team on the track, and he didn't quite get there. He was fourth. More often than not, it doesn't become reality. I think the stats say that it's more it's less likely than not. So it's kind of like in a major marathon, you take any any person or the field, you take the field. I think here with a woman, do you take the NXN winner as a national champion, or do you, or do you say yes or no? I think the answer you're going to be more time right more times than not if you say no. Now, Toei's not your average national champion, but her speed rating this year is kind of average on that front. Being a former New Yorker, John. I can say it all. Former Texan. I'm actually a Texan permanently, but former New Yorker, now New Englander. I feel like I got it all covered except for California, those damn flyover states. Just kidding. That was a joke. I'm from Texas. <laughs> Wait, but Texas doesn't consider itself a flyover state, does, would it? No, we're we're our own country. So the rest of you 49 states keep effing up. We're leaving. That's what we always like to say. But... In New York, I'd be at the Armory at times, and Tui was racing, and people were like, oh, she's different than Mary Kane. And they praise her coach, Brian Diglio, for, I don't know, leading her in a different direction. And there was a New York Times profile on Tui. And essentially, this is before any of the Mary Kane, Alberto Salazar stuff came out. They're like, yeah, she's the model of what we're not trying to do. I mean, that may be a little harsh of way I'm putting it, but there were a lot of... I think red flags what they saw with Kane, and so they tried to be more measured along the way. But if you kind of look at the results, like she's not running quite as well in cross country as she was a couple of years ago, and maybe they should have anticipated that. You know, she's doing club cross country this year. They've done different races each year, so I hope she's enjoying this. Like to be the best in anything in the country has got to be amazing, and and whether that lasts or not, like. I I think from all indications are she she enjoys this, but future who knows? So you know everybody says oh the body type and all of that. I mean people are going to develop, they're going to grow. That happens to everyone. So it'll be interesting to see where she is in five years. And but if I think they've learned from the Mary Kane experience and the pressures that were put on her, and also I think some of this body stuff is going to be very very interesting. But the indica- all indications from the beginning was she was going to college, and that will give her a few years to adjust because. Even if she's not that great, I would say Ephraimson and Kane were at a whole nother level. 
that in two weeks kind of at that level. Even if she just isn't that great in college, she still can be a very good runner for a few years at the collegiate level. Yeah, I've been impressed by how Caitlin and her coach have been handling the whole high school fame thing and you know success at such an early age. I think they've done everything from what I can see. They've done everything they can to sort of navigate it well and manage expectations and that sort of thing. So yeah, wish her the best in college. Let's move to the men's race now. Uh, Robert, you have one more take on Caitlin Tui. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that the coach is doing a wonderful job. I think it's great that they're trying to not be Mary Kane. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. To me, I read a great quote. I forgot where I read it, but biology is sexist. I don't think that Alberto Salazar ruined Mary Kane. I think that her biology let her down. Do I think Alberto Salazar probably ruined any chance that she had by trying to force it? Yes. But, you know, Jordan Hesay should be the model here. Hesay was, there was a number of years where it didn't look like Hesay was going to be a star. And she ended up being one. She ended up moving all the way, you know, but we thought she was, a, in the high school, we thought she was a miler. So, wish her the best of luck. But, you know, you're defying the odds if you have, you know, there, there are very few people that are high school, college, and pro stars. Well, the Hesay thing's interesting, though, because she went to college and she was very, very good in college. And then as a pro, she made the pro world's team right out of college. And then for a pro, she kind of struggled for a couple of years. And then she finally found her event. So that's an interesting trajectory. I think everyone's trajectory is unique. So we'll see what what the future holds for Tui. And Hesse is interesting as, also as well because Salazar sort of resurrected her career. Or not resurrected, but she speaks very fondly of him. So it's just, I think people love to paint it one way like, this guy's a monster. He ruined everybody, and it's more nuanced than that. All right, let's briefly hit the boys' race. Nico Young, to- very, very impressive. I mean, he's been crushing course records all fall. He almost got the course record twice at the California State Meet course. He ran under fourteen thirty at Woodward Park two times, and before the race, they were saying his coach told them, "Yeah, Nico, he was, we held him back in that race. Like it was all about NXN and producing the best performance possible, and that's what he did. He went out and took control of this field almost from the gun, just crushed everyone. Really, really impressive stuff. And this is a guy. Remember, I mean, he ran eight forty for thirty two hundred meters last year at the Arcadia Invitational, breaking the meet record. And that's a meet that most of the top high schoolers run every year. I mean, that would, to run eight forty there as a junior." Really impressive stuff. I got to say, I I know we don't want to you know hype up high school kids too much, but this guy this guy looks special to me. I mean, from what I saw from him, that talent, that robe. The other thing I thought was interesting was he looks like he's out of breath. Like one mile into the race, he looks like he's like dying, but he's not. He's just really good at pushing the pace. So I really liked what I saw from that guy. I think he he's going to do some big things, but we'll see. Well, 840 doesn't really lie, John. I mean, that's a, a very good time. The margin of victory was impressive. Now, the totally speed rating, 205, is not historically great by any stretch of the imagination. But one thing I, I would say that might be going against him is, you know, he runs in Newberry Park. They have a very good coach, a very good program. They won the team title. So, but sometimes you think, oh, if they're really well coached in high school, they're not going to improve as much. I mean, very few of the Fayetteville Manly as girls have done anything in college of note, but Galen Rupp had good high school coaching under Salazar, and he ended up developing quite well. So future, we'll see what happens there. John, one interesting thing that caught me as a coach was I always thought a lot about this, and I noticed this when I was coaching in college at Cornell. 
you know, NCAAs, they have the four-team podium, which is kind of absurd. I know you hate that, John. It should be a three-team podium. Actually, correction to last week's, you know, podcast. John said Vivian Chariot didn't get in the, on the podium <laughs> in, in Valencia. Well, maybe they, if they had four on the podium, John, she would have been there. But, um, you know, they have, they have, they, they take the top four teams at NCAAs up on the podium. And I noticed that, like, some coaches go up there. And some don't. So, like, Mark Wetmore, the Colorado coach, never goes up there. But this year, I think three of the four men's coaches did go up there. Ed Eyestone of BYU went up there. I think on the women's side, it was two out of four. But there was some criticism of, of Newberry Park. They've got a young coach. He went up on the podium. And people were like, he's the only coach that went up there. That's, you know, ridiculous. And I was like, just because the other high school coaches, I defended them. I was like, why is this controversial? Most of the college coaches do do it, or at least they did do it this year. I'm like, uh, to me, I don't know why it would be any different in high school. You know, I think maybe is it just societal norms? Like everyone, no one else does it, so you don't see anyone else going up there, so you want to, you're afraid to do it yourself, or is it something because there are kids versus young men? I, I don't know. What's your take on it, John? If you win a championship, are you putting your coach up on the podium with you? Yeah, I don't. I don't have a problem with it. Now, I will say, watching the broadcast. I he did strike me as sort of the most exuberant high school coach I've seen. I usually watch the award ceremony at NXN every year, and I couldn't remember a high school coach who was more excited than he was. But that's also he was his first national title. And Newbury Park, they have a good program, but it's not like uh, Fayetteville Manlius. They win pretty much every year. Bill Aris, I think he usually goes up on the podium, but he's not freaking out like those guys. The coach's name is Sean Brosnan. I think it's great. Of course, he's celebrating. He just coached the national champion team title and a dominant individual t- victory as well. It's not like he did one or the other. He did both, and he's part of this. And the coach, Bill Belichick, gets the fucking Super Bowl trophy, excuse my language, and shakes it like a madman. Like, well, of course the coach should celebrate. I saw that thread, immediately knew what it was. It's some other jealous high school coach, you know, out f- probably from Colorado, and just doesn't like him and wanted to try to bring him down. The, the worst people, we talk about moderating a lot in Let's Run, the worst threads are coaching threads because they involve people's jobs and they're kind of competing with each other. They're way worse than like some 16-year-old kid posting. So congrats to Sean Brosnan on a great coaching job. We should probably have him on the podcast too because not only did he coach the individual team, I mean the team, but also the individual. And I think that's much harder to do. Wait, which one do you think is harder? I think the the team one's harder. Doing both, I think, is harder. Well, yes, obviously. Uh, of course it's harder to win both. I mean, just math says that, but very impressive accomplishment. And, you know, the, the, the person criticizing him was like, oh, you know, he's living vicariously to the athletes. And, and I was like, yeah, of course he is. Like, well, I don't know. When I was helping Weldon run, I, I mean, I'm a twin brother, so it's a little bit different. But in some ways, I, I, I was like, I felt like I was doing it. I know I wasn't. And same thing, I probably when I was coaching at Cornell, particularly when you're young, like, I don't know, I wrote him back and said, look, your biggest asset as a young coach is you're so close to these guys. And it also is, a, there's a, a negative to being that close to people. If I got back into college coaching, I wouldn't want to know you know, what parties they went to all the time and who they were dating all the time and every little drama in their life. Sometimes there is an advantage to being a little bit more distanced. But I don't know. He's a young guy, but he feels it. He's passionate. And they're obviously thriving off that energy. And it was good to see, I think it was Doug Souls, one of the California coaches, really defending him there as, as a good guy and a good coach. So congratulations to Newberry Park. 
Nico Young and everyone at NXN, and good luck to everyone at Foot Locker this weekend. So, moving ahead, not sure where we should head. Oh, we've got some breaking news here. This just in. We've received confirmation from USATF that Robert Johnson has retroactively been awarded a qualifier to the 2000 US Olympic Marathon Trials. Clearly, with the new Vaporfly technology, his 223.13 at the 2000 Las Vegas Marathon would have been worth a trials qualifier back then. Robert, what is your reaction? Wow. Did you at Walden ask for this, or did USATF just grant this to me for my contribution to the sport? I think it's uh, Vin Lanana's, it was his first uh, movement once he was reinstated as president. He said, we have to right this wrong. The tragedy of Robert Johnson has been remedied. This is so great, John. It's a great honor. I felt like I never really accomplished anything in running. Only the third best guy in my high school team. Didn't even, I was intramural mile champion at college, but now I'm an Olympic trials qualifier, even though I didn't actually run Olympic trials qualifying time. But I'll take it. Yeah, so th- obviously we're, uh, we're we're joking here, but this 223, tw- what, 13? I mean, the standard was 222 at the time, Robert. So you probably, I think if you had worn the Vaporflies, you would have been able to get that standard. But I don't know if you would have been able to run 219, which is the current standard people had to hit. And that's one that a lot of people did hit at the California International Marathon this past weekend. 34 American men, in fact. Yeah, maybe the 219 now is equivalent to the 222 standard pre-vapor flies. But John, we, we brought this up now because the Cal International Marathon was last weekend. 34 American men, 66 American women, 100 total, broke the 219 and 245 standards. Now, some of those were repeat qualifiers, so it's not like there's 100 new qualifiers. There's probably like, what, 90 new qualifiers? I think we're up to close to 250 men now qualifying for the trials. 500 women. Truly amazing. I mean, so, amazing is one way for it. I would say these fields are bloated. It's it's ridiculous. Every athlete is going to have like personal bottles. I mean, how the the fluid station alone, the fluid situation alone, they already had to change the course to accommodate it. I still think it's going to be a mess. I don't know. I I just what do you think, Robert? Is the ideal number for the Olympic trials because it's going to be close to 750 and that is way way too many well I, I don't think that running 500 people in a marathon is, is way too many I don't think that's a problem um, I mean Boston New York run 50,000 people so it, it, that's not an issue my, my issue is I don't think they all need their personal bottles having 500 personal bottles is going to be a nightmare so come on let's be reasonable if you haven't broken you know 235 or 215 Sorry, you don't get your own person a bottle. Um, you know, maybe, maybe just do top, I don't know, 100 for bottles or 50. I don't know. It's just something reasonable like that. But I, I think it's good for the sport. I mean, a lot of people stay into it. I don't really have a problem with the standards being lax. I think 245 is probably a little bit. I mean, that 245, John, that's over 30 minutes off the world record. Yeah. The men's standard is only, what, 18, 17 minutes off the world record? It just seems a little bit off. Hey. Folks, but this is a good example. The whole world is not some sexist conspiracy. Lots of things happen, and it's just life's not perfectly fair for everybody. So sometimes a man gets screwed. Sometimes a woman gets screwed. Sometimes a child gets screwed. Sometimes a white person gets screwed. I'm not saying that there isn't white privilege and 
discrimination. But I'm saying not everything is some grand sexist or racist conspiracy. Here we have it. Proof. I'm not saying that a marathon isn't equipped to handle, you know, 500 women and 250 men or whatever the numbers are going to be. I just think, you know, I'm first of all, huge credit to everyone who has qualified. Like 219 for a man and 245 for a woman. Yes, they're attainable, but you still got to work your ass off to get to those numbers. So uh, to say that, you know, I, I don't want to cheapen their achievements in any way. With that said, I do think this is the Olympic marathon. Tri- this isn't the Boston marathon they're qualifying for where like most decent fit people, if they really put in the work and do it, you need to be a, a pretty elite runner or you should need to be a pretty elite runner to make the Olympic trials in the marathon. And I do think, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm call me an elitist, but I think the standards should be a little harder. Like, look at the standards on the track. If you make the Olympic trials on the track, you're a damn good runner. Like, that is not easy to do. And I think it's a lot easier to do in the marathon. And maybe it should be that way, but I think it should be harder than it currently is. And it will be for the next cycle now they're not tied to the uh, Ted Stevens Act and making the trial standards easier. A few things here, John. First of all, uh, of course it's easier in the marathon. I mean... Just the marathon can handle a lot more people than the track race, so it's a lot harder to make the track because there's a limited number of people that can put on the track. And the marathon, we don't have that problem. So, and also, just the marathon, like it or not, fair or not, is a much bigger event than a track event. I mean, we're doing right now again, race of the decades, folks. Go to let'srun.com. We've got 64 races, the 64 best races of the decade, or 64 of the best races. And they're battling it out. We're going to name the race of the decade. But we've broken it up into four regions. And one of the regions basically is marathons, right? Just because there's so many good marathons every year. So I'm not opposed to there being more. I I, I don't even have a problem with it being 220 on the men's side. That's a, a, a round number. You know, we could do 220 and 240. How many would there be if there was 240? Maybe 235? I mean, I, I think it keeps a lot of people in the sport. There's a lot of good stories. And it's not like everybody makes it, John. You and I both know. John's got a, a dear friend, Dartmouth teammate John Bleday. I feel for you. Two nineteen oh something, John. Two oh two nineteen oh eight. Yeah, he made. I think the twenty sixteen trials. He made it by like maybe five seconds or one second in the half. Oh, marathon. so he has qualified. So he qualified in twenty sixteen. He did not qualify yeah. for twenty twenty. Missed it by eight seconds. Uh, and an ex-athlete of mine at Cornell, David Melly, he was on pace at CIM for about 22 miles, and he blew up, ran 222 flat, 221.59, something like that. Um, he wrote a good piece in Sidious Mag, and I didn't think about this, John. Just to watch the, you know, like the 30-second segment from 218.45 to 219.15, you see the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Although the problem is... They do let people in if you run like 219.02 and your gun time and your chip time is under. So it's not as clear cut, you know, <laughs> but there is a lot of uh, drama there. Well, I will say one thing about the standards being relaxed. They relaxed them midway through the last Olympic cycle and they kept them the same for this standard is for this cycle is that it draws in people who maybe wouldn't have thought they would have had a shot at this or maybe wouldn't have taken the sport as seriously if the standards were harder. They would have just said, Olympic trials, that's oh, not for me. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And making the standards easier, you open the door to those people. And I think a lot of people have seen, hey, you know, this is attainable, especially with the Vaporflies out there helping them. You know, I think it's got a lot more people invested and excited in the Olympic trials. That's definitely a good thing. You know, you're going to have, a, look, I mean, look at all those women. Where, f- 500, you know, ranging from the elite of the elite to just, like, pretty good runners 
running that's that's great that they're all invested to the sport to that degree and they all get to test themselves on the same course that that's nothing but a good that's a good development for the sport right i think it's great and i i just think that Maybe we don't, you know, the Land and Track Club stepped up and said, we're going to pay for all the B qualifiers. So I'm fine with having a huge number if we don't pay for them all and we, if we don't give them all, you know, the special bottles just from a logistics standpoint. So if we want to do 500 and 500 again in, in 2024, I'm not opposed to that. But I am sort of, you know, let's maybe cut down on the expenses a little bit or put it up in the prize money. But, John, that wasn't the only marathon this weekend. We have one. That well, we had Honolulu, right? The first, two, I mean, course record in Honolulu, Titus Akiru. Uh, it was it was right around two hundred eight flat, which is really imp- like that's a hilly, that's a tough hilly course to run that fast is super impressive. Yeah, two hundred seven fifty nine. You got to remember the guy who had the old course record, Lawrence Chirono. He just won Boston and Chicago this year, so Titus Akiru definitely. Watch out for him. I would expect, you know, Honolulu is a pretty a good stepping stone marathon to world marathon major success. So watch for him in a major in 2020. Yeah, and I don't want to go off on the vapor flies again, but, you know, even the Honolulu race director was like, I never thought we'd see this in Honolulu. Robert, come so, on, be honest. You do want to go off on the vapor flies. You always no, want to go I, off on the I them. just think the new shoes are amazing. I, I think they're amazing. I just think that I am don't want to see what we had in 2016 happened in 2020. We need to set the rules. And actually, the IWF came out yesterday to Fox Business, of all people, got the IWF to talk about the new shoes. They are investigating. They're not going to make any announcements until the new year. So they're getting some sort of study done. Should be done in the next few weeks. And then we should hear something, hopefully, early next year about what the rules will be going forward. But, um, you know, it's still impressive, Ron John. His time was rounded up to 208 Flat Margaret Mar- Mariki beat Betsy Sena in an, in the women's race two thirty one ten there, but um, to me the big race in Honolulu was the mile. Edward Cheserick, I was very impressed by this three fifty three on an out and back road course. I mean, Robert, we know that Edward Cheserick excels in races like this is from November to like March. That's Edward Cheserick's peak like remember that's how he runs all his crazy times manchester road race course record last year well he ran 349 in the mile last year in you know february or march like he's in shape because he doesn't run world championships or olympics he can really get fit and clean up at some of these races at weird times on the schedule when everyone else isn't super fit so this is sort of this is peak edward cheserak season right now and congrats to him just proposed to Sharon LaCady, she said yes. So that's a fast-running couple out there, both of them NCAA champions during college. Yeah, so I was going to mention the NCAA titles between the two of them. Chetrick won, I was looking this up the other day. How can this be, John? 17 NCAA titles? Like That's more than four a year, obviously, and he didn't even run his senior year outdoors. Well, sometimes he ran one more than one in a season. That also counts two DMR titles. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, this is this is a strange concept to grasp, but maybe Edward Cheswick was really, really good at running. I mean, he just dominated the NCAA when he was in it. It's not a surprising stat to me. Sharon Lacady also won NCAA title, 2018 NCAA outdoor title in the 10,000 meters. And folks, their child could be like the future Olympian for the U.S. 
We have a lot of future Olympians in my mind. I remember when Tiranus Dababa had a baby in the United States. She just gave birth to another baby. I don't know. I think it was... They looked like so, there was some sort of ceremony. I think it was a, not a baptism, but I don't know what the ceremony was. She just had another kid. I don't know if that kid was born in the United States or not, but those two, you know, right there, that could be, uh, you know, part of your future Olympic team because her husband, Celeste Sahini, is a Olympic silver medalist in the 10,000 meters. This is sad. I didn't even realize she'd been out, John. I was thinking <laughs> that was too many marathoners. But I started a thread on the message board. It didn't get a lot of traction. I was trying to figure out which is faster, a road mile with one 180-degree turn on, on it or a track mile, which has eight turns. I assumed that the track mile would be faster, but maybe not. Well, it depends on the conditions for the track mile. If you're running it at BU, which would have 16 turns, that would still be faster. If it's still weather, you know, no wind, you have good pacing, it's really sort of depends. But yeah, 180-degree turn, that's got to slow him down a bit. So with that in the middle and still running 353, that's pretty damn fast. It looks like Weldon is back. Weldon quietly had to take care of some chores at his new house that he just moved into last week. Weldon, have you heard the breaking news? While you were gone, John got an update from USATF. I am now a 2000. Olympic trials qualifier. We're wondering how this makes you feel. You no longer are superior to me. We both have made the 2000 trials. Do they give you fourth place at the USA 10,000 meters twice as well? Boom! Drop the hammer on him, Weldon. That's a crazy thing. Like, some of these old guys, I mean, the, I don't know if you guys have, what exactly you guys have been talking about, marathon trials at all, but like, Bernardo Lagarde, it's like my generation. I'm just so shocked that a guy like that can still run at that level. But Robert, welcome to the club. I don't know what else they're going to give out. This would be great. If everyone sort of, we can kind of modify all sports performances about 2 to 4%, I think we write a lot of record books. Yeah. Jesse Owens, uh, we've actually run the numbers, and Jesse Owens' run in Berlin, when you take into account the cinder track and the shoes he was wearing, 9.50 new world record. I mean, that's sort of... <laughs> That's sort of what we were joking about, but John, my my good friend, let's run friend David Epstein, who wrote Sports Gene. I mean, he he's got a TED talk on that. Basically, he would argue that the sprinters of today aren't really that much faster than Jesse Owens. It's all technology and tracks, and the, the vast majority of it. it's a fascinating TED talk. If you haven't seen it, but John, the other marathon that we haven't talked about, one that is dear to my heart because I have a role in its history. It's only the second ever Abu Dhabi. Marathon. I'm proud of you, Robert. You pronounced it right. So proud of you, buddy. Yes. Well, Weldon and I always call it Abu Dhabi, but Dubai is a different country. Dhabi, Abu Dhabi, with an E. No, no, with an I, but yeah, it, it sounds pronounced like with an E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have $100,000 for first prize. They, they This is the second year of the race. And last year, I was, because of the big price, I watched the race online. And right when it finished, I was like, these times don't make any sense to me. And this is actually gets into the vapor flies in the sense of some guy was criticizing me on Twitter or something like, you're always down on the vapor flies. People are just running faster. I'm like, look, the track times aren't suddenly getting faster. It's just the marathon times. And if you know the sport, a small difference is is obvious to people. Like last year I watched this race and I was like, wait, how could they pick it up this much in the second half? This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, I think this course was short. So without asking anyone for backup, I'm like, I, I wrote an article. Was this court short at like 2 in the, two a.m.? And then sure enough, eventually down the road, Sean Hartnett and um, 
helmet winter right yep. um, went over there and measured it. it ended up being about 200 meters short so you know it, this is why it's just we want to know whether the courses are accurate we want to know what technology people are wearing because a big part of the sport sort of is the um you know is is, is the times mean stuff but anyways abu dhabi this year hundred thousand dollars interesting story ruben kipiego this guy has zero results. He's like 26 or 27 years ago. As of three months ago, he had zero results on the on the, on the results database that we pay for, our Telestopica. He ran 205 in Buenos Aires for second. Now he runs, he started this race as the rabbit in Abu Dhabi. He runs 204.40, John wins 100, 100 grand. Like, has a guy ever gone from nowhere to that good in that short of a period of time. Didn't Dennis Cometo essentially cut what did Dennis Cometo run in his first marathon? He went from essentially obscurity to almost winning Berlin really, really quickly. He's sort of the guy that comes to mind for me, but I don't know his exact, I don't know Kip Yeager's exact backstory. So, okay. Now, John, I'm going to ask you a question based on these. I tried to estimate for some reason they don't have him in the IWF marathon rankings yet, but I tried to figure out how many points it would be worth. You get so many points for your time and so many points for your place based on the prestige level of the race. So 205, I think it was like 18 or 16 and, and Buenos Aires for second and a 20440 for first here. John, guess where he will be ranked in the marathon world ranking. Well, since I read the week that was, I already know where he's where you projected him to be ranked. Maybe you should ask well oh, I, this question. I, f- I forgot I put it in there. Only like 62. It shows you how many good marathoners are. Or it shows you the flaws in the world <laughs> rankings. And Robert was saying, oh, if anyone knows his backstory, we, we want to know more about it. We want to do a story on it. I thought you were going to say you want to drug test them. I mean, it's just sort of like it's it's out of nowhere. It's a cool story, but it it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I want to know the story, too, because I think it's cool no matter what. I mean, I don't think drugs are the answer, but people are just so skeptical of performances these days. Just It just – I don't care if the guy was, like, shooting up an EPO. Like, what's he done beforehand? There's no way, like – You don't you care some, if you're like, shooting up with EPO, well, then? John, don't take stuff out of context. Well, I, I'm confused. I'm looking for clarification. Yes, of course, of course I care if he's shooting up with EPO, even though I said I didn't. But if you shoot someone up with EPO, it doesn't make him run 204 from scratch. Like, what was he doing a year ago? What was he doing two years ago? It's pretty crazy. When they turn into the park, it seems like the wind might be in their face. It's Salazar, Salazar, Salazar. It's that time of week again, everyone. Our Alberto Salazar segment. And it's actually news relating to Alberto Salazar this time. There was a protest on the Nike campus. Uh, hundreds of Nike employees in Beaverton were marching to protest a couple things. One was the company's continued support of Alberto Salazar. They're reopening a building that was named for Salazar, and they have not renamed the building. They're just keeping his name on it, even though they've stripped it from other sort of disgraced sporting figures such as Lance Armstrong and Joe Paterno. And then the other reason for the protest was to protest the company's treatment of female employees and sponsored athletes. So, guys, weigh in. What do we think this time? Well, first of all, I have a far-reaching point. And I will tie in Alberto Salazar and Mary Kane's Catholic faith into this. As a Christian myself, people who are sinners... If you don't want to be disappointed in people, don't name buildings after people, living or dead, because at some point they might disappoint you. 
But I think that's one thing that's pretty universal. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. I mean, where do we stop the naming of stuff? I mean, Alberto Salazar stuff is obviously much more recent, but if you put your faith in man, a lot of times you're going to be disappointed. Alberto Salazar also removed from the RRCA Hall of Fame last week. I mean, I think I can appreciate the beauty of Alberto Salazar as a runner and keep that separate from what he did as a coach. I mean, he had some great coach, coaching accomplishments, obviously, but the doping ban, I mean, I don't think you can have a ban, a building named after someone with a doping ban, but who knows? Or you could just say, hey, people are more complicated than you think. We're not going to change the name of the building. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. They stood by him and paid probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in his legal defense. So they clearly still believe him. They're still appealing. Why would they strip the building if they didn't think he did anything wrong? Come on, guys. This isn't that complicated. They shouldn't be stripping the name of the building until the appeals are done. If he gets, if he wins the appeal, then what? So that's point number one. Point number two, Walden says we have terrible things named. Yes, we have a, a nation's capital named after a slaveholder. So I definitely don't think they should take the, the capital's name away and change that. It's part of our history. The building's different. He's still living. He disappointed people. But it's just pretty interesting to me, like, None of these Nike employees have given a shit about them looking the other way and doping in the sport for, for 20 years. Weldon and I have always consistently said, if only Nike took the lead on the anti-doping movement. All these Nike employees, they don't give a shit. There's a police report filed that one Nike employee made a death threat at Danny Mikey. And now, we, you know, this came out in the news last week in Britain. Finally, someone has, has connected the dots. Tra- Travis Tiger says death threats were made in the Alberta Salazar case. Yes, but... It was Danny Mackey. The death threat was made at Danny Mackey. Jonathan Galt is the one that broke that story years ago. So death threats made by a Nike employee. No one cares. But then Alberto Salazar fat shames Mary Chain, and we have two or three hundred women, you know, protesting. Or not women. Two or three hundred, three or four hundred people, male and female, protesting. And Nike does you know, not just Nike. Under Armour too. I mean, Under Armour was expensing trips to the strip clubs recently. They, they've had to get rid of some male executives. Nike had to get rid of some male executives for some, for some past behavior. So, yes, these companies need to be better at this. But it's just kind of interesting to me, like, what is the tipping straw for some people? Well, Robert, you said if – don't change the name in case he gets cleared. But I think some people would say, oh, they don't want a building named after someone with some of the stuff that came out with the treatment of Mary Kane. I don't think for most of these people they're protesting the doping thing. I think the Mary Kane thing hits all of the – more relevant issues that they're concerned about. And that's glad that they're protesting. And I agree. Women, a woman should not be treated that way. Or no, nobody should be treated that way, male or female. But I'm just saying, like, you, you, you can't do stuff in the heat of the moment. You need to let the facts come out. You need to let things calm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to be dealing, let an investigation be run before we... I don't know. I, I, I was listening to last week's podcast, and John thinks I'm some big Salazar defender. Far from it. I just think that it's like pile on Salazar, and he's like the evilest human being to ever walk the earth, and let's burn him at the stake. Yet John won't even admit that he doped an athlete. So it's like, if he didn't dope an athlete... Well, well, who did he Who did he dope? Who did he dope? That's what I'm saying. It's like, oh my God, he did all these horrible things. What do you mean, I won't admit it? I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. You're criticizing... Of course I... He do- he quote unquote doped Steve Magnus, who everyone knows wasn't an athlete when he got you know the Elkana team, and he wasn't doping him by using an over limit 
uh, allowable injection or infusion of an allow a non legal. You know, the substance was legal. The method it was illegal. So yeah, I he didn't dope an athlete, but he did. He broke the rules. Right. I I, I said that. Last week you were giving me a hard time for saying I'm a defender of him. I'm not really a defender. I went on record and said that if you asked me, if, do I think, gun to my head, I'd die if I'm wrong. Do I think he actually one time massaged Galen Ruff with Andrew Jones? I'd have to say yes. I think the likelihood of that is over 50%. You won't even say that. So it's just interesting sort of. That's an opinion, Robert. I'm entitled to my opinion. And two weeks ago I said, look, this is the only one of the few people. I went with Alberto Salazar is so crazy that he might have actually doped his own son to see if Rupp could be contaminated. I actually think he's that, as Jordan Say said it best, he's crazy about everything. I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve a ban. I'm not saying anything. I just think that, like, it's very fascinating how this is, you know, once something gets in the pop, once you get in the, in the, in today's culture, once you get on the wrong side of, of, of the mob, man. Again, there are reasons for this, though. Like, the stuff he did, he broke a bunch of rules. He was doling out prescription medication like it was candy. And then the way he treated Mary Kane and a lot of the other female athletes in the Oregon Project, I think there are justifiable reasons why a mob has formed. Also, I would be remiss if I allowed this conversation to end without mentioning that becoming my role as the grammar police and mentioning Robert used the phrase tipping straw, which I found <laughs> to be a very amusing combination of the <laughs> straw that broke the, broke the camel's back and the tipping point. So uh, I just found that pretty amusing but that's just me getting a laugh maybe fan of let's run malcolm gladwell can come out with a new book if you're gonna ask me for my opinion no one did ask me for my opinion should his name be on the building if he's convicted of doping i guess not but at the same time i'm not for like shipping the names off washington dc so is it just because it's current i i I don't know john what do you think yeah i would i would say no if you yeah, if you have been banned from the sport for four years and add in the Kane allegations, yeah, I don't think that's something Nike should be honoring. And just because, you know, just because there are Robert E. Lee statues in the South or because Washington or Jefferson or some of the founding fathers held slaves, so, okay, that's a different issue. That shouldn't be Nike's defense for keeping the name of this guy on the building if it comes out, if, if his appeal is not overturned. Okay, but you're not honoring Alberto Salazar for the Mary Kane stuff or for the doping stuff. That building was named after him for what he did as a runner. Does Martin yeah, Luther th- King? Do the street names have to come down for Martin should we Luther name, King? Should we name things after O.J. Simpson? O.J. Simpson was an amazing Hall of Fame football player. You want to name stuff for him because what he did, bad things that weren't on the football field? I mean, come on, Weldon. What about Martin Luther King? What about him? Do we take down the names for them? Why, for why would why would why would we take down Martin Luther King's name? Do you guys didn't hear there were very serious rape allegations against Martin Luther King this year, written by a very reputable liberal person? I I would say no. He still he still did tremendously great things in America, and he could have done heinous acts as an individual that aren't you know one hundred percent obviously proven. And I think the difference here, here's where I was going to go with, the difference is you're selling Alberto Salazar as a sportsman, and then he cheated at the very sport, was would have been deemed as cheated as a coach at the sport. So I think it's more relevant you take it down. And then also there's employees there, female employees, who don't like how he treated other employees, and it's part of the culture at Nike. So I think it's more relevant to take the name down there. But 
it kind of goes back to the bigger point I have is if you name buildings after people, a lot of times it's just how far do you want to go to find something where you can be disappointed in them, I think, to some extent for most of these people. Yeah, that's a fair point. All right, let's move on. Let's talk. I'm going to break out a letter. Robert, you have one more comment on this issue? Since we're supporting the women here at Women's Movement, I would like to support the women here. There's a breaking story. This will be the biggest story in one week's time, and I will probably break it to the world. Sometimes we miss the forest from the trees. And I forgot to talk about this when we were at CIM. One of the 66 women to break the 245 barrier and qualify for the Olympic trials, I have learned, is transgender. And this is going to be a big story. It only has three or four posts on the message board right now. I'm shocked that it's not getting bigger. Um, I mean, has a formerly, has a man, or someone who was born a man ever qualified for the Olympic trials in any sporting event in the United States history? I'm not aware of it. You mean in the female division? You mean in the female division? Yes, a lot of men have, born men have qualified for Olympic trials. I was one of them. And you are too now one of them as well, Robert. Congratulations once again. But... It's not that I don't think it's going to be that big of a story. Maybe it will be. I think we learned about this possibly yesterday, last night, and John had one of his most stupid comments ever. <laughs> this is not stupid. You were saying, like, I was saying, if her identity isn't known publicly, I mean, we shouldn't just be outing trans people. That's, that's. Oh, no, 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 no. Not that comment. Your comment of. Of what? Is, is it male to female or female? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think we know if someone's qualified for the trials and they're transgender, generally it's going to be a male to female. Yeah. This woman does appear to be uh, out as a transgender. I, I don't think she was hiding that fact because there was a question. There was an AMA with her on Reddit and seemed, she brought it up casually. So, so a couple things. One, you know, John said, oh, should we out this person? And I think, I don't even think we need to use her name now because we can just discuss in general this topic. But in terms of sport, elite professional sport, I think if someone is transgender and they haven't publicly announced it, I think now there's enough questions on whether it's an unfair advantage. I'm fine with them being under scrutiny there. So I think it's a somewhat different issue. What someone does in the private life is very separate. But if you want to compete at an elite level and your biological sex is different than your professed sex that you're competing as, I, I think there's different societal issues there, and it's worth discussing. Um, we did received emails from people saying, please remove this thread yesterday. Her Strava stuff is out there, and that's personally identifiable, and they, people can figure out where she lives. And I was like, okay, well, you know, Jim Walmsley's Strava is out there too, and they can make the Strava private if they don't want to, but... I think in issues like this where people might be concerned about something, the privacy of this person, we can protect it to remove the link to the Strava stuff. Well, if someone doesn't want people knowing where they live, don't post anything on Strava. I mean, just because we're not linking to it on our message boards doesn't mean that other people can't just find it, right? Agreed. And that was the point I made to this person, but out of respect, I was like, look, I'll remove it, but this person is sharing their own Strava stuff and doesn't feel obviously doesn't feel uncomfortable sharing where they're running and that sort of stuff. There are a lot of privacy issues with Strava and people can see where you run. I don't feel any obligation. I, 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 we, I want, I took down the Strava link. I want to, I don't want this person to be jeered at or 
criticized, but they felt unsafe. I mean, John, your talent is listed when you sign up for a race. But I'm sorry. This person is going to be a public figure. I don't even know why we're not mentioning her name now because if you're born a male, then, I mean, if you don't mention their name, then people could just, you know, I, I could grow up as a boy and then run as a woman and not do anything and just nobody would know. Like, they don't ask for your ID when you enter the Olympic trials, do they? Do they make you show a driver's license when you pick up your packet? I, I, I've never qualified. I wouldn't know. The The modern world is so fascinating to me. It's like men have done all these terrible things to women for years, and I'm not denying it. They have, and women were held down, and it was sexism. But now <laughs> we're celebrating the fact that people – Born with penises can now take spots away from people without penises in female athletic competition. Now this okay, okay, is- two two issues. Go ahead, sorry, finish, Robert. Yes, I know I shouldn't focus on the genitalia, John, because some of them do have a surgery. No, no, that wasn't my problem with it. I don't know any other way to say that. And this case doesn't actually bother me that much because there's an unlimited number of spots. She's not taking the spot away from someone. In the Olympic trials. All that she's doing is causing the Atlanta Track Club about $500. But unlike June Eastwood, who took a spot away at the conference meet from someone else on that team, or the, the Division II athlete, John Hel- Stacey Telfer, who denied another athlete away from a national championship, this is a little bit different here, assuming she doesn't make the Olympics, which I don't think is going to be the case. But again, I don't know. We don't have any – it's just – I better just be quiet before I get myself in trouble. You say we're celebrating her. I mean, no, we're not. People aren't. This isn't a. This is like you said. This isn't even a big story. People aren't freaking out about it yet. Number two, it, yeah, it's a, it's not a zero sum game. So she's not taking away a spot from someone who else who didn't qualify. And three, I think we saw with the June Eastwood thing. I mean, the June Eastwood thing that was a. We thought that could be a potentially big issue at the start of the season. I don't think it really turned into be much of an issue. People she clearly were the. You know the treatment she was on lowered her levels. She, I mean, okay, you could say yes, she took away a spot from one of her, you know, genetic, biologically female teammates at the conference meet. So maybe you guys think that was a big problem, but I don't know. Junie Swood, that whole thing didn't end up being that big of an issue for me. If someone, if some male to female transgender athlete finishes like two hundred and fiftieth the Olympic marathon trials, I don't think I'm going to care that much. Okay, the June Eastwood situation didn't end up being a big deal because June did the right thing. She went way above and beyond the NCA violation, the rules and regulations. I have, have have that confirmed from a source that these rules are very lax, but she went way above and beyond what was required. So if somebody wanted to exploit these rules, it's just like the shoe rules. We need to have the rules that make sense and, and are enforced and are good. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like... I, I'm, I'm some crazed person and I feel like we're undermining the amazingness and uniqueness of female bodies. I'm not saying that if you're a woman, you don't have a, a baby. You're not an amazing woman. I have three aunts that have never had children or I guess, yeah, and they're amazing and, and they're very dear to me. I'm not saying they're not amazing women, but the female body, the sacrifice they give for giving birth is just being undermined and sort of ignored and it's unique and it's special and it's like, Okay, you know, and I always cite my Hillary Clinton former speechwriter friend, but she texted me this morning about this case, and she's like, I told my five-year-old daughter, don't ever forget, we're the ones that have babies. And people would probably think that's a bigoted comment. Trust me, this woman is very, very liberal. Robert, yeah, the, the sexes are different, and predominantly, I mean, there are two biological sexes, but then there's now this 
there's transgender people, intersex people, and w- the question is where do they compete? And I think at elite sport, the argument can be made that transgender people should not be allowed to s- s- switch sexes. The current rules are that at least the in- the NCAA rule is a joke because there really is no cutoff in place. But the IWF rule is if you lower your testosterone to a certain level, you can compete. And I think at that level, no one's shown it's still an unfair playing advantage, at least in track and field. In other sports where height is something in an advantage, like basketball, you still would have an advantage. So there's th- those questions. We must not forget there's two tremendously different in the sexes. And w- people should be treated equally and fairly. But like to pretend like male and women aren't different is nuts. I mean, men are murderers, right? We men murder. They rape at a much higher and I don't think those things are societal. I think some of these things are biologically. It's, it's terrible, you know, what men do. And women do other things. And so people are like, there's these interesting threads in Let's Run. Like the reporter who was assaulted on the course by a man, a TV reporter, some of the people are like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. There's a lot of discussion on that. And people are like, well, if someone slapped a male reporter on the ass, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But... Men and women are treated differently, and for certain ways, they sort of should be. Like, men, by and large, don't go around worrying about being sexually assaulted or catcalled or raped as much as women. So to pretend there aren't differences between the sexes is nuts, and I think that transfers over into a lot of societal issues and, obviously, this issue in sport. Well said. Everybody should be – I think that it's hard because we want to give everyone an equal opportunity – I would love to see a female president. I would love to see more female CEOs. But at the same time, how do you do that without denying the uniqueness and of the sexes? And there's a lot of overlap, you know, and whatever, you know, it's 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 a it's a dicey topic. You know, I think those things we don't biology doesn't really come into that. So like female CEO, female president. I think he expressed that wrong, John. I don't think he was. I think I knew where he was going, but I'm like, oh, that sounded said sounded wrong. Yes, there are di- I, look. There are differences between the sexes, and they should be celebrated. And but we need to also acknowledge the biological realities when it comes to elite sport. I think that's a fair conclusion of that point. Now, let's move on. I'm going to break out a let's run.com catchphrase. Dig into the old catchphrase basket here. Vin Lanana is back, baby. He has been reinstated as USATF president after an almost two year suspension. I mean, this it, look. I'm first of all, I'm glad Vin's back. This guy makes things happen in the sport. And what I just think is, what I find this very interesting is the timing of the CAS. He appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport because essentially USATF was ignoring his pleas for reinstatement. They weren't going to rule on it or anything. And so he had to find, file this grievance. Eventually, got taken to CAS. They said yes, you should be back in there. And actually, the board, the the method the board used to essentially suspend him was. They shouldn't have had that power anyway, I don't think. I think it should have been the the, uh, the membership should have been the ones making this decision. So it, it, what I find very interesting, it came out right before the annual meeting, and then he's back at the annual meeting, and they're all trying to act as if, oh, yeah, let's put we're all ready to put this behind us and work forward for the sport. And I'm just thinking, there are people on that board, Steve Miller specifically, also Mike Conley, the interim president, who I think wanted to hold on to his position. These guys actively... We're trying to keep Vin Lanana from doing his job for very spurious reasons. And I don't know. I, I hope that it doesn't affect their ability to make things happen. But it, it's just kind of crazy. Vin's working with these guys now, knowing they didn't want him on the board. And they were trying, I would say, 
underhand tactics to keep him off it. Yeah, I agree that all can't be just sort of roses and sunshine. I think maybe we should try to speak to Vin. I think, John, you were the one who spoke to him earlier this fall when he took over the program at UVA. But legally, and I talked to him at USA, he's like, I can't talk about any of the USATF stuff. This grievance has been filed. So now that he's won the grievance, maybe it's time to hear from Vin. But he's sort of the one, he's been behind, I mean, I'm sure there's other people, Vin recredited others, but like, I joke that he's the one guy who gets shit done in track and field in America. He was the leading force behind the world's coming to Eugene. Now, obviously, that wouldn't be possible without Nike's money. But when he went to Stanford, Stanford was sort of the nexus of distance running there. Then he goes to Oregon and switches there. Now he's in Virginia, but he's also the head of USATF president. And hopefully now he can get stuff done at USATF. The board, for the last five or six years, has shown it, it, it thinks itself above the membership. And hopefully this ruling reminds people that USATF is supposed to serve its members. And I think even a lot of these USOPC people, they want a more independent board, a more professional board. But let's not forget, USATF is about serving its members. And this was a a victory for those members. And the members, and I think by and large, have all supported Vin Lanana. And let's give Vin a chance to do his thing at USATF. Yeah, what I just kind of find ridiculous is he was suspended. The suspension came out in February 2018, I believe. So it was almost two years. And now his term, he's got one year left in his term. He was elected in November 2016 at the USATF annual meeting. And now we're in 2019. And now he can finally get back to doing his job. And then people are like, well, actually, yeah, he has to run for re-election in 2020. So I don't know. I mean, he could obviously win that re-election, but... I don't understand. Were they doing an investigation to see if he bribed someone to get Eugene 2021? What were they doing for the two years? Or were they just trying to stall? What was who doing? USATF? No, they were just trying to stall. No, it's total bullshit. Yeah, the, the, I think the portion of the USATF rule book that was inappropriately applied here was meant to temporarily suspend someone who's kind of incapacitated from their job, like they have a stroke or something like that. But... The board claimed that they could use this to suspend Vin as long as there was an investigation about Eugene 2021, which was never going to end. Or they could say, oh, it's never been wrapped up because the FBI never actually ends investigations. They don't announce like they don't announce investigations or announce the end of them. So giant cluster. USATF acknowledged that there was no wrongdoing on Lenana's part, but... They had found a way to get him suspended. Steve Miller didn't want him on the board because he thought he might get in the way of things he wanted to accomplish. And they essentially were like, yeah, we can suspend him temporarily. And then unless Vin actually started taking actions and fighting back, you know, they were just going to keep him suspended essentially indefinitely until his term ran out. So Vin had to take action. And even once he did, it took them until now to actually get him reinstated. So the whole thing is it's just ridiculous power grab by steve miller and in, in the on the board and with vin's turn term coming up i heard robert announced he may run for mayor of baltimore robert are you gonna run for president of usatf2 this would be so great i would love to see robert run for mayor of baltimore and have the let's run nation supporters and detractors get behind him or against him this would be so fascinating well we just have so many corrupt politicians in this town i would just say look what is your Platform one, I'm going to give all my salary back to the city, 100% of it, or maybe I'll take one dollar as a you know, buy a kid a candy and hand it away. And then, two, every day that there was my I would not have a permanent office, 
I'm used to working mobily anyways at a, a sort of co-working space. So every day that we had a shooting, I would set up an office on that corner, and that's where I would do it, try to bring attention to this, try to get some national attention, maybe some national help. I, 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 I don't know. Rojo 2020. Rojo 2020. I mean, if Robert was mayor of Baltimore, he didn't have – you know, be mayor of a bigger city than Mayor Pete, so maybe Rojo twenty twenty four. You need to watch the Wire season three. That's the mayoral campaign season. Learn all the dirty tricks from uh, Tommy Carcetti and that sort of thing. Let's go quickly. All right, we have this race of the decade thing. I've spent a long time sort of compiling compiling races. I'm really excited about this. We're going to give Let's Run Nation the chance to vote on what they think was the greatest race of the 2010s, and. You know, it's sort of a, what you think is the greatest or best race. That's sort of subjective. There's a lot of things that make a great race, but I just wanted to get some quick hit opinions. We have the bracket now live. We've got four regions: the Rhodesia region, the Bolt region, the Lagarde region, the Kipchoge region. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Do you guys? Is there a race you're rooting for? Is there a race you guys think there there's underlooked here? I mean, well, when you looked over the bracket, was there anything that struck you? Any race that you kind of forgot about? Anything like that? Well, John, thank you for compiling those. It's great because there's like the YouTube videos and you can watch them and a lot of great races this last decade. And But I, also, it also shows how long ago some of the Bolt races were because like Bolt's world records were the last decade. The Evan Jager steeplechase race, I just love that race. So it, and that may be my race of the decade. It's obviously not the most impressive race of the decade. I mean, it got an IWF moment of the year, but I think it represents like so much of like what we dream for and coming close to dreams and maybe not getting it. And there's the the announcing call was so great. Uh, some of these great races, like the calls aren't that great or they're not that close at the end, but I just love they were so invested. Like Evan Jim Jager. Hutchings is screaming, get up, Jager. Get up, Jager. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that was a great one. I'm going to lobby for my Jager race. I'm going to play a little audio here just to try to get people pumped up. Give this one some voting, please. Into the home straight on the final lap, the clock showed 7 minutes and 40 seconds. Jager was in front with one more barrier to negotiate. Surely he would not be denied his sub-8-minute run. And this crowd here in the Stade de France appreciate what they're seeing because Evan Jager is surely running for a sub-eight-minute clocking here. Oh, the oh, he's he's gone down. Oh. Jager, get up. Concentrate. Oh. Keep going. I never get sick of listening to that race call. So I think that's my race of the decade. Not sure it's the race of the decade, but love to hear some of your favorites. One I really was fond of, this was, and maybe it's just because this was one of the first meets I covered for Let's Run.com. Lawi the Lang, Edward Cheserek, 2014 NCAA Outdoor Championships, 5,000 meters. I mean, Lalang had been the king of NCAA for the past few years. And then in comes this hotshot Cheserek. He upsets everyone to win NCAA cross and then just looks unbeatable. He wins, like Lawi the Lang had entered NCAA indoors that year was trying for the mile, 3K, 5K, triple. Everyone's like, oh my God, Lang, could he win all three? He'd run, I mean, by this time, he had run 13 flat on the track and like three, you know, th- 333, I think, in between the, you know, in the summer of 2013. And so he looks just unstoppable. Cesaret comes in, destroys him in the 5K. His, you know, the triple is over before it starts. 
And then he, he goes to the 10K at, at NCAA's outdoors, and he closes in 24-8 for his last 200. Just blows the doors off Shadrach Kipchirchir, who turned out to be a real stud. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh my god, this guy's going to, he's never going to lose another NCAA race for his entire career. And then Lolly Lalang, great champion that he was, he comes out in the 5K, and there's a bunch of guys in there. There's like Kennedy Kathuka and Mohamed were also trying to push the pace because they kind of knew they didn't have a prayer against Cesarek and a kick. And Lalang goes out there, he runs a 409 five mile. Him and Cesarek coming down the straight, both of them, they're lapping a couple Dartmouth runners while it's going on. I found that really interesting. We had two guys in the race, Curtis King, John Bladet, the guy we shouted out earlier who just missed the Olympic marathon trials. He was in that race getting lapped by these guys. And they're just fighting each other down the home straight. The Haywood Field's going insane. And I, it's one of the greatest 5,000s I've ever seen. And uh, I was glad I kind of got a chance to include that in the bracket because it was one of my it's near and dear to my heart. John, that's an amazing race that you had. I mean, think about that. Mohamed was like a scrub compared to Cesaret. And look where Cesaret is now. This is why I think if Cesaret gets U.S. citizenship, watch out. I mean, Mohamed almost. Did he medal? He did medal. Put some respect on Mohamed's name. He meddled and then he broke 27 in the 10K at Worlds. Yeah, and Cheswick can wipe the floor of Med, so we'll see there, but... Well, five years ago he could. The reason why that should be the race of the decade is, how in the hell two Dartmouth guys make NCAs and then get lapped? <laughs> what? In a 5,000? Well, they got lapped because the winning time was 13.18. So they ran 14.30 at an NCA meet? Well, I mean... Oh, wow, lapped in a 5K, yeah. I think it was a 10K. It's pretty bad. It was a fast winning time. They didn't have their, ba- their best races. But, hey, they made the meet. That's pretty I impressive. I mean, as someone who never made the NCAA meet, if you get lapped in a 5,000, I think you should hang up the spikes permanently. Someone who never made the NCAA meet, someone who never ran an NCAA competition, Robert, I think <laughs> is the correct words you should use. <laughs> no comment. I've got some comments, though, on social media, they're like, look, why are we even having this discussion? Rudisha's 800 at the 2012 Olympics is going to win this thing. It's not even going to be close. Like, do you guys see this as a runaway for that race? I kind of feel like that, that to me, was the race of the decade. And I think it should win. But will it win? I don't know. When I think of races that, like, I don't remember what I was thinking when. I remember the Solinsky 2659. I mean, that race was set up for Rupp. That was the Rupp. American record race, and then Zelensky not only gets the record, he also breaks 27 minutes. That was very unexpected. Now, for non-U.S. viewers who weren't watching that race live, you know, and actually, I don't know if I was watching it live. I feel like I was. But, you know, I mean, obviously there's a U.S. bias. I don't think it's a, it's a done thing. I think this is what's interesting about this. What is the greatest race? It doesn't have to be the most significant. It doesn't have to be the most it could be the most exciting. There could be an American bias. We have the fans are voting. There's more American viewers on our thing. What about that Cajal Dennehy call race? Did that not oh, make it? Oh, from the depths of hell. I, I I did consider racing it, including it, but the stakes were just it's some. It was what the Irish University Championships. I was just like, uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of great comebacks that just weren't on YouTube. Like I'm sure there were some great high school races somewhere that something epic happened. The stakes just weren't that high compared to everything else, but. Robert, I got to say that the Selinski one, that's also, the, I mean, that was a great, great race because I, I remember logging on to Let's Run the the next day. I think I had been interested, you know, I, I, yeah, I logged on the next day and I go on and it's just this big splash page and it says 2659 dot, 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 Selinski, exclamation point. And there's just a picture of him celebrating. And I'm like, 
what in the world just happened last night? Like, I th- it was Galen Rupp. It was supposed to be a coronation. It's like Chris Selinski, like the big burly white dude from Wisconsin. He's the guy who broke 27 minutes. I thought it was amazing. That race may have pushed Alberto over the edge. Apparently, they were having placards made for Rupp and like, or T-shirts. I would love to have those. If anyone has one before they were thrown in the trash, please send it to me. I'll pay $1,000 for it if someone has it. It would be an all-time thing. So go ahead and vote in that. Folks, before we leave, though, I would like to take a victory lap. We made the bold prediction that Gwen Jorgensen would not make, would not win the Olympic gold in the marathon in 2020, folks. And what a bold prediction, John. I'm kind of kidding. We actually said she had a 0% chance of winning Olympic gold. But we now know that won't be the case because Gwen is doing what we thought she should do. Move back to the track. She showed some promise in the track, John. And she'll be moving back to that. And then hopefully she still wants, she still dreams of the marathon, but not in 2020. Yes or no, guys? Will Gwen Jorgensen make the Olympics in the 10,000 or 5,000? I still don't think she'll make the team because... The U.S. was, I mean, the 5,000, actually, the U.S. is getting a little bit more competitive in that. She needs to be under 15 minutes. I think it's just hard to do at her age. But she has one of the greatest coaches in the world, a great training group, a lot of great facilities. She did show promise on the track in 2018 when she was getting ready for the marathon. So I think she's going to be a very intriguing candidate. And I, you said victory. I mean, I don't think we should be... Yes, I said that she had a 0% chance of winning Olympic gold, but I don't want to be stomping on her dreams. I think it's awesome that she made this decision to go for running, that she set a big goal, that she attacked it ferociously. You know, her body, she got injured. It didn't work out for her, but I applaud her for going after it. And I do really think, you know, she could be a, a serious contender in the in the 10K or the 5K. I think one of the things to watch for She's going to, I know, you know, she wants to root for her Bauman Track Club teammates at the Olympic trials, but she should be rooting for Molly Huddle and Emily Sisson to make that team. Because if they run the marathon, they don't come back for the 10K. Whereas if, like, you get Des Linden or Amy Craig, I don't think those women are going to be, or even Jordan Assay, I don't think those women are going to be running the 10K at the Olympic trials. So if you get Cra- if you get uh, Huddle and Sisson in the ten- marathon team, that's two less people to worry about in the 10K. Good point, John. But yeah, 215.15 for 5,000 is a hell of a lot better for 236. So I think it makes it interesting. You're right, John. I mean, she's the Olympic champion in the triathlon. It, it's been, I, people get mad that she gets more publicity than runners who are faster than her. Who cares? It's a great story. It's fascinating to watch. There's a, you know, a cute quotient there, and I'll be following it closely moving forward. But it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, do you guys think she'll make the team? I don't think she can't make the team. The chances are way bigger than 0% that she makes this team. I mean, I mean, who are the other contenders, right, if they all run the marathon? Well, look at the people. In, if Infeld's back and healthy, she's much better than Gwen Jorgensen in the 10K. Marielle Hall just ran a phenomenal race in the 10K. Those those are two people just on Bauman Track Club. And then after that, you know, you have St- Stephanie Bruce, Callan Taylor. If they don't make the Olympic marathon team, they could bounce back and run the 10K and make the team. And then the other thing is the standards. We don't know. You need to get the Olympic standard. The 10K, they don't fill the fields, right? So you need to get the Olympic standard or come close to it. I think that's that might be the biggest issue is getting the Olympic standard because I don't know what they do about filling the field or where your world rankings. That's going to be tough. Y'all are talking about the 10. I'm talking about the 5,000 too. I mean, here's the U.S. less than 5,000. She ran 15-15 a few, like 
just after like six months of training, right after giving birth, it was pretty amazing to me that she was able to do that. There's only 12 women under 1550 in the U.S. this year. Carissa Schweizer and Eleanor Perrier, 1445 and 1458. Mariel Hall, 1502. Kim Conley, 1505. Shannon Robert, 1505. Rachel Schneider, 1506. Vanessa Fraser, 1507. Molly Huddle, 1508. Emily Sisson, 1510. Katrina Tagan. Warren Packett at fifteen fourteen and Shelby Houlihan at fifteen fifteen. I mean, a big thing there is. Well, well, no, we just had like what three women running at BU though, right? Oh yeah, well that's not on there. You gotta count those. I mean, Taylor Werner just ran fifteen eleven. Katie Izzo fifteen thirteen. Yeah, two more women did it. So that must just be outdoors. So a, a big part of it is like whether it's any of these studs, whether the the. the Hula hands and them do the fifteen five or people do the five ten because that makes it a lot easier. Could she be like an? She needs to hope for like an Abby D'Agostino type situation where you're like fifth in the five thousand, and then you make it because a couple women don't run it. I mean, you're already ruling her out. I sort of agree, Robert, but who knows? Maybe she'll really take to the track. I'm not ruling her she out. It's a promise there. It would, be, it would be kind of nuts if she made the team in the five k. No, but you're saying oh she needs to get a fifth place thing i mean who knows maybe if she, maybe she becomes a sub 15 minute runner and if you become that you actually have a really good chance of making that team it is kind of cool though right she was the olympic champion in the triathlon i don't think she liked triathlon that much and she's like look i've done all i can do there i love running it's more of a challenge let's go for it and there's just something i don't know cool about that it's like kind of doing what you love and it's just not not all about the money or the fame let me clarify. I, I I think of those lists. The only people she's not beating, I don't think, at five thousand are Schweizer and Houlihan, maybe Perrier as well. But Perrier might. I, some people think she might be a sub four fifteen hundred meter runner. She might move back down to the fifteen. So, you know, I don't think she's probably going to beat Roberry either. But Roberry's up there in age. So, but you know, we don't know that all those women are going to do it. So, with the rest of the group, there's probably one spot open there for him. You know, she's got a chance. Well, there will be some injuries, but then the other thing is Gwen Jorgensen is coming off injury herself. She just had the Haglund's deformity. That's the same issue that was bothering Galen Rupp, and we've seen that his comeback from that has been anything but smooth. She only had the surgery in, what, October? So it's just going to cut into her time. The trials are fairly early. They're in the middle of June this this next year. Will she have time to get fit and get in shape with coming off the injury? Will she be able to push it? She's also turns 34 years old in April. I mean, there's a lot of things working against her, but I, I think it's going to be a fun storyline to follow. Well, guys, I think that might be it for the podcast. We should have had a deleted thread of the week. I see one now. Let's Run works for Nike. They deleted my post about Foot Locker. That's probably a first, us being accused of working for Nike. Actually, I've seen that before. And then also I hear we hate Nike. Just people, you know, say we hate women, we hate men, the four boards are misogynist, racist, whatever. There's just a lot of negativity, and it's easy to sort of assign a class to it. But we love Foot Locker, and the Foot Locker Championships are this weekend. Weldon, our guy, Josh Methner, loyal listener, he probably will be the favorite. He was second at NXN. He'll probably go into Foot Locker as, a, as the favorite. So that'll be interesting to watch. We will be having a Foot Locker preview Right? I, I'll I'll get to work on it. I'm gonna, planning on working on it this afternoon. And we didn't wish Josh luck last week because... Yes, we did. Excuse me. Everyone's praising Nico Young. Josh was probably cruising. That was like his regional run last week. And he was getting ready for the granddaddy of them all. It's like the Rose Bowl. You can talk about these other bowls and stuff. Some may eclipse them in actual performance some years. 
But if Josh can win Foot Lockers and then come on the podcast next week, oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, let's let's not put too much pressure on the kid. And, you know, there could be other Foot Locker finalists listening to this podcast, in which case we love you too and all the best. So, uh, no, but I'm loyal to Josh. He's your guy. Okay. Win or lose, Josh is the, all, the first guy I will invite to be on the podcast for next week. But yeah, enjoy it. If you're good in high school, it's something. If you're good at anything in life, just enjoy it. Look at Gwen Jorgensen, right? Like, she's like, this is what I want to be doing. High school success doesn't mean collegiate success, but if you're the big man on the high school campus, like, it's got to be fun, you know? I'll tell you what, with all the snow on the ground outside, I wish I was in San Diego this weekend. All right. And remember, if you're looking for a Christmas gift, normatechrecovery.com. It is the gift for runners this holiday season. Robert, John, signing off. Thank you, guys.